there, and welcome to the Zero Half Hour, brought to you by Zero Hour Health and Zetic, a podcast where we talk with leaders from across the food service industry and beyond about the pressing issues of the day in 30 minutes or less. Our goal is to share ideas from diverse perspectives on a range of topics that matter to every business in the current and post-COVID eras. I'm Rosalind Stone, CEO of Zero Hour Health, and thanks for joining us. Today, my guest is my old friend, Dr. LJ Tan. LJ is the Chief Strategy Officer for the Immunization Action Coalition, which is one of the leading resources on immunization in the U.S. LJ has a Ph.D. in medical science, specializing in medical and public health advocacy. He's always had a particular focus on vaccine-preventable diseases, and he's one of the top experts on influenza prevention in the U.S. Prior to joining the Immunization Action Coalition, LJ directed the American Medical Association's Division of Medicine and Public Health. Welcome, LJ. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm hanging in there. It's, it's been nice and busy, which is good. I like being busy. Yeah, today is exceptionally busy. It's been, it's been almost 19 months. It's been 18 months and change since you and I did our first webinar. Wow, has on, it really been? On flu, yes, on flu and um, it's, it's been a long haul. That was our very first webinar. We did so many more after that and, you know, and now have found people are webinar and Zoom, uh, Zoom fatigued and that they enjoy listening to our podcast while they're back to, to commuting again. Yes. Or at least somewhat commuting. So I haven't talked to you in a while. How's it been for you personally? How's your, what's your family's COVID experience been? How are the kids? All good. I mean, you know, my eldest daughter is uh, in an MD, MD, PhD program. And so she just finished the second year of medical school and she's now in the PhD part. So she's just uh, cranking away on research. And then after she gets done with that, she's going to move on to uh, two more years of medical school and then she'll be done. She'll be done. Ha ha. You know, it's, uh, but it's definitely a, a long haul, um, but she's good. She's, and the great news is that she's here in Chicago uh, at the Northwestern, you know, Pinebrook School of Medicine. And so it's, it's, it's easy. Like, for example, tonight she's coming home for dinner. So that's nice. Um, so that's really that, nice. Yeah. Wow, that's really exciting. And we have a source of COVID tests, which is for free, which is really nice. Yes. Uh, well, I can't show you this, but I, I don't know if you can see this, but here's my my uh, my collection sitting behind oh, me. Oh, I see it. All the binaxes. I see a whole right, stack. The, ab- the binaxes are there. The, the LabCorp PCRs are to my right. Uh, and we're, we're actually starting on a, a third collection is starting this week also. Yeah, it's, it's nice to have the in so you don't have to pay for these tests. So it's, if with the right. binax, it's really easy too. So we'll, the moment someone coughs for more than a few hour, an hour or two, so at the moment someone says, I'm just not feeling really well, they get a swab up their nose <laughs> and into the binax it goes. <laughs> and do you trust it? Um, so when the, so if the, it's symptomatic, I trust it more. So I, I don't trust it as much for asymptomatic. So if someone tells me, you know, um, you know I just want to test and they, can, they, they tell me, and I, but I really don't know what my exposure is, I'll say, you know, I can test you, and if you're negative, it doesn't mean anything. Because if your exposure was two to three days ago, and you're, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to spot it with the Binax. The antigen test just doesn't work that way. So, you, you know, we need to have you, you know, symptomatic, the specificity and sensitivity really goes up, because if you're symptomatic and you test positive, I'm pretty certain it's COVID. Right. Now, what about, like last week I spoke with Mara Aspinall from uh, Arizona, you know, and she felt that two um, Binax 24 hours apart, both negative, had a, high, had a fairly high reliability. Do you agree? Uh, it depends, right? So if you got infected 
day zero and you test on 24 and then 48 hours, I... Right. I would not agree. But if you got infected on day zero and you tested 24 hours apart on days four and five, yeah. Uh, but okay. if, if you got it on day zero and you tested 24 hours apart on days five and six, I would be very, com- I'd be very com- pretty confident. Yeah. Now, I'm going to age myself by asking this question, but how old is your youngest now? Uh, youngest, Kian, is 17. And he is high uh-huh. sc- senior in high school. He's really into nursing. He's actually doing a nursing. Um, uh, so Oak Park River Forest, the high school he's at, has actually got a year-long senior elective called uh, Fundamentals of Nursing. And so after this year-long fun- Fundamentals of Nursing, at the end, they, the, the final exam is actually the CNA exam. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, but in-person school? Back to in-person yeah. school? Yeah, yeah. Um, you got to keep in mind we're in OPRF so Oak Park I don't know if you know Oak Park, Illinois but we're like progressive to the point of maybe too much I mean we're we're just so liberal over here so the high school is 80% vaccinated for the kids that's fabulous yeah so our high school kids are 80% vaccinated uh, and our staff are almost 90% vaccinated so not knock on wood yeah yeah so one of the most common questions that we're getting from our clients in the last week um, are that you can't get a flu shot and a COVID shot at the same time or near each other. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, so CDC has actually, you know, they've actually come out and said, you know, we're back to the general guidance with co-administration, right? So, so we've always, with few exceptions, and we know what those exceptions are, um, you can look at it under the general recs. Uh, with few exceptions, you are allowed to co-administer vaccines. CDC has returned to that for both COVID and flu. So you can, and I'll say it here, you can co-administer COVID-19 vaccines with flu vaccines. Just do them in different anatomic, anatomic regions. So one arm, left arm, right arm. Fantastic. That's what we thought, but, you know, misinformation out there is yeah. just, you know, you know, it was a problem, it is a problem, it continues to be a problem, and the problem's just not going away with, with misinformation. No, nope. no, nope. it's a problem. The misinformation is, is, is the number one reason I think we're not where we are with our vaccination coverage rates, and as a result, it's the number one reason we're dealing with Delta. I mean, if we had just got more people vaccinated quicker, we could have probably slowed down this Delta a little bit more. Um, so I'm not saying, I'm not blaming it entirely on that, but I have to say, you know, we needed we needed to get more people vaccinated. And, you know, now we're getting the surge in vaccination because people are scared of Delta, but it made, it's, you know, it's not too late, but it, I, I wish it had happened earlier. Yeah. Um, in our executive summary today, we have an article from The Atlantic. You know, if we could have done one thing differently, it would have been about masking. And it was like mm. masks work. We always knew they worked. You know, there was just so much information about them not working. And, you know, if we had just masked, you know, 18 months ago, that we wouldn't be where we are now. We mm-hmm. wouldn't have been where we were. And we wouldn't be where we're going, you know, if everybody had, you know, everybody had just masked and stayed masked. Yeah. So, you know, again, back back to the misinformation, the changing information, people not believing in science. It's just, well, then, you know, and then as I'm as frustrated that, as I was now. I, I don't blame you, Rosalind. I mean, if you think about it, right, the whole... The, Vaccines and public health should never have been politicized, and it has been. And that's our big, that's, that's the challenge that you just hinted at, right? It's, it is. You know, the, 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 the masking is supported by science. It, we, we, you know, the reason why there was a little bit of back and forth at the very beginning was, you know, the, the role of masking in terms of preventing you from transmitting versus protecting you from disease, right? 
So the, the initial data was saying, you know what, we, it definitely prevents transmission, but it may not be the best at preventing infection, right? Depending on the mass. So an N95 obviously does a lot more for preventing, protecting infection than let's say a typical surgical uh, mask or a cloth mask. But the point is all of them do really good jobs of preventing you from transmitting, which is the thing. We needed to prevent the transmission, as you suggested. And if we had, if we had coupled the, the slowing down of transmission by masking, coupled that with the vaccination as the vaccines came into the market, you're right. We probably wouldn't be as far off, as badly off as we, you know, I, I don't want to say we're badly off, but we, we wouldn't be where we are today. We, we would be better. I mean, we're, we're across our client base, we're in a, in a pretty bad place right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we're back up to the numbers of employees being excluded as we were in January. Oh. Um, you know, this weekend, you know, three of our clients had employee fatalities, or employee, you know, COVID deaths, you know, which we hadn't in months and months. So we're, we're not in a great place. We're starting to see the numbers come down a little bit. Um, at least in Texas, Florida, you know, in those places, but we're seeing them pop up in some other places. We're seeing them pop up where people are just, kids are just going back to school. We're seeing them pop back up in some of the college towns. Um, so the college towns are pretty well vaccinated, certainly in the north, but we're seeing those numbers. You know, we're seeing numbers in real time. We're seeing employees fail their wellness checks as they go to work and start to chat with our nurses. So we're, we're often seeing things a week, 10 days ahead of Ahead the data, of other yeah, the other, other data. Can I ask you, Rosalind, when you talk, when you say that these numbers are going up, so this is because employees are going back, are going in every day, and they're being tested on a regular basis. No, they're taking a daily wellness check. Most of our clients are not doing testing across their their large workforces. They may be doing testing at their corporate offices or their support centers or their service centers, where there are. Well, some employees are going back to work every day, you know, but, you know, many of our clients are in the restaurant industry. Others are in service industries where it's very difficult to test um, to test employees on a on a a daily basis or regular basis. Interesting things happening right now. You know, um, Oahu put in that new that new VAX or test mandate as of September 13th. So there are a lot of employers out there in Oahu and some other places that are now quickly struggling with excuse me, getting up to speed on, mm. on more regular testing. And, and I think we're going to see more regular testing across the board or random testing across the board eventually. We're just not there yet. When we get to surveillance, that's going to be a big part of it. We're not at surveillance yet. Yeah, I think that will help. You know, better surveillance will tell us what the true numbers are. So what you're saying is, Rosalind, what I'm hearing you say is that we are, you're, seeing, you're seeing this in terms of wellness checks, but when these Correct. when they daily fail when they fail mm-hmm. these daily wellness checks they then get tested when they fail the daily wellness check they're chatting with our clinical team and our clinical team clinical team is excluding them from work for the appropriate number of days based upon their symptoms their exposure or their vaccination status and oftentimes the employee is chatting in and they failed their wellness check because they didn't feel well over the weekend they went and got tested and they tested positive and mm. they're sending us their positive result got it okay most employers are not requiring testing yeah, that's you know, a, that's a loophole, very right? Specific circumstances, yeah. Yeah, because then we don't have we have you may have real time data, but you don't have actual COVID nineteen positivity data, right? right? So so so, yeah. But it's but but I think you know as the testing continues to go up. I mean, for example, some of the high schools I, that I know of now are beginning to reg. You know, if you're not vaccinated, they're going they're asking you. In order for you to come back to school, you're going to have to do weekly testing. And then they're offering that to even the vaccinated kids because of all the, the news with Delta. So I think right. as, that del- as that testing goes up, I think we're going to see more positivity 
um, and, and, and then our data will improve and we'll know more about, you know, we'll know exactly how, 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 how much we have to figure out before we can get out of this. Right, right. So we're also seeing um, some real-time data on breakthrough, on breakthrough mm -hmm. rates and they appear to be higher than the published numbers because while our, our team is chatting with it, so, so an employee completes our wellness check two to four hours before they go to work, they indicate that um, they indicate that they had symptoms, they went to get tested, they just got the results, or they chat back with us when they get the results. On the same screen, we can see their vaccination status, and we are seeing a much higher percentage than we were two weeks ago of employees reporting positive test results to us that we show are fully protected, that they're two weeks beyond, beyond two doses. Do you know, Let how me ask you another, do you know how far out? I'm sorry, go ahead. Do you know how far out, Roslyn? From vaccination? Months. Okay. Good uh, for the most part, months. We're not seeing, you know, we're not seeing you know, days or weeks. Okay. We're seeing people that were completely fully protected in April and May. Okay. Um, you know, we, we don't yet have any data on, on waning protection. Got it. You know, it doesn't, that doesn't seem to be a factor in who we are seeing, um, who we're seeing test positive. Got it. But, so when do you get your flu shot? <laughs> now. Okay. Absolutely now. And you continue to get, look for your flu shot and get vaccinated until flu leaves your leaves. And that will be in March of next year. In March. It's not too early it's, if we have a flu season that comes on later and, and tails off later? No. So the, the, the CDC's new recommendations is please try to get the vaccine in between in September and October. Uh, because that that's the optimum time to, as you say, maintain the length of that immunity into April and beyond, right? In case flu comes late. So, so now is the time to get vaccinated, September and October. But CDC also says if you don't get vaccinated by the end of October, there's no reason to not get vaccinated because flu tends to peak in February. Um, and if you get vaccinated in November, December, January, even in February, you will still be, there's still benefit from getting vaccinated. So start so now. We start now. So if we see booster doses start in the fall, do you think we'll see more combination, obviously not a combination vaccine, but combination vaccination programs where people are getting COVID and flu at the same time? I certainly hope so. I, okay. Some of the mass immunization clinics that were utilized to do COVID-19 vaccines in the, in earlier on, um, I don't know if they're restarting those. And if they do restart those, I don't know how those mass clinics are going to um, be able to handle two doses. I think there's, I think there'll be some trepidation with, with, with administration error. Like, you know, did I give two vac, two flu vaccines instead of one flu, one COVID because of the size of the, of the, of the scope. But I think in pharmacies, in clinicians' offices, we want folks to be thinking, hey, you got your COVID-19 vaccine, you're not done yet, you still need flu. And we also want people to be thinking, hey, you came in for flu vaccine, you're not done yet, do you need COVID-19 vaccine? Right? So we definitely want people to think both at the same time. And that twindemic that we were really worried about last year, probably that twindemic risk is higher this year. Because as you have said, Roslyn, our masking has really dropped and our social distancing has really dropped. Interesting, because I was going to talk to you about the twindemic. You and I spent a lot of time talking about the twindemic last year, and we have some some real um, we have some real twindemic concerns mm -hmm. from from where I sit. You know, one of one of our concerns are that um, you know the twindemic didn't happen. So just like we were we were discussing hurricanes a little while ago, you know, we we had a, a false alarm for a hurricane in New York last week, so we disregarded the warning for a hurricane this week, and it didn't serve us well. Um, 
do you think people are you concerned about people disregarding the concern of a pandemic when when we didn't have one last year? Yeah, I think we we are worried, uh, and and I think you know for that reason I just I'm going to do a quick plug here. IEC on September 9th and on September 20th at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're holding two webinars specifically to focus on sustaining flu vaccination uh, so that you know we can increase the the, the profile for for providers that hey. You know, flu is going to be back. If you look at RSV data, RSV data has already started, you know, it's already circulating. It's came back earlier uh, and it's coming back with a vengeance. And so when we dropped our social distancing, when we dropped our our masking, uh, all that provided room for the respiratory pathogens to come back. And so flu is no different. It will be back. So, you know, we need to continue to maintain our vaccination rates in influenza so that we can continue to protect the people against flu this upcoming season. Yeah. So a really basic question. What's the difference between COVID and flu? <laughs> it's not as basic as you think, Rosalind. I think it's, you know, it's challenging, right? Because clinically, both, are, both present with symptoms that can be very, very overlapping. Um, right. But uh, but I think and, and both now are vaccine preventable diseases. So I think I think the, the, the biggest thing that we want to kind of keep in mind is that um, so COVID disease does not tend to present with the with the runny nose, um, the, 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 the components of flu like runny nose and so on and so forth. Flu tends to present with those runny, the runny nose. COVID-19 tends to present with the headaches. It tends to present with the high, the fever. It tends to present with the malaise, although flu tends to present that as well. So I think, I think one of the biggest challenges is that when we have people come in with flu-like symptoms, I think right now the onus on us is that you probably have to test for COVID-19. Um, and I think if we can then make sure that we keep people vaccinated, I think we can protect people against the flu and that may reduce our need to test against flu. Um, you know, most phys- most clinicians that I know of now, when someone comes in with flu-like symptoms, they're testing for everything. They're testing basically flu, COVID, strep throat is the other one that I hear a lot of testing going on for because there is no real clinical way to tell them apart. The, 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 the nuances are subtle. So, I mean, if you had a patient come in with, with, with sore throat, uh, malaise, uh, a slight fever, and loss of sense of smell and, and taste, okay. That's, that, that sense of smell and taste, classic COVID, right? But if you don't have that, you know, it's hard to tell. And I think that's when the testing becomes important. I think it's important to test because that will help our surveillance data for COVID-19 as well. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it appears anecdotally across our, our across our database. Can I pause? Can I pause? Uh, can I can I hear? Can, can I say this? Because I heard this one, and now I'm looking for people to back it up. I have been hearing that Delta presents with a runny nose. Correct. I was wondering about that. So I've been hearing yes. anecdotal data on that as well, and I was trying to. There's yes. no there's no clinical reporting yet on this, but. But that's right. what I'm hearing. So I, you know, so again, we're, we're now, you know, kind of shooting the breeze a little bit. But I think, right. so, so yes. So if that's the case, the, you got to test. Right. Sore throat and runny nose. Yeah. Low, low, low grade fever. We're not seeing a high fever. We're not seeing as much loss of taste and smell. Yeah. So, um, so, so you got to test. So I have another thing that's keeping me up nights. So. You and I have talked about flu and flu in the workplace and flu prevention in the workplace for a very long time. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and before COVID, a very significant percentage of flu shots in this country were given in the workplace. 
And you know, they had to be super convenient in the workplace. You know, we had a client years ago that used to have, they used to have us go on site and do flu shots in each of their five buildings on their campus. And to save money, they consolidated to do three of the five buildings. So you just had to walk through the skyway from building two or four to building one, three or five. And their participation rate dropped by 20%. Wow. 20%. Convenience. So, wow. Yes. So what we've learned and we've been able to effectively um, you know, implement over the years is that more convenient you can make a flu shot, the easier it is or the more likely people are to participate. And, and you know, years ago, we didn't understand the impact of um, retail flu vaccinations and what they would impact they would have. And it, they appear in the long run to have had a, had a very positive impact. But I don't think anyone went into this flu, se- flu prevention season thinking that people wouldn't be back in the office. Yes. That keeps me up at night, that yeah. people, you know, there were companies that were huge proponents of flu shots that gave, you know, time to get it, put people in raffles, did all kinds of things to promote flu shots that aren't going to be able to do that in the same way again this year. So, 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 so I don't want to say why not, but I want to say there are ways to obviously kind of improvise, right? So, you know, if employees sure. are staying at home, companies can give, uh, you know, send them to pharmacies and say, if you go to the pharmacy and get the flu shot, we will give you a electronic uh, Amazon card, five, five bucks, right. so an incentive, right, mm-hmm. to, to do that, right? So, so where, the far, where the company would have invested in paying, unfortunately, you <laughs> to do this, they can now invest in incentivizing the employee to go to a pharmacy or another, or, or another location and access flu vaccine that way. So I, I would really urge employers to think out of the box to try to maintain that because you are absolutely right, Rosalind. We, are, we have lost a occupational health it was one of the big places where flu vaccines were getting delivered. I mean, you said you said it started out with very low, but we're now, you know, no, 20% of flu vaccine prior to COVID was being delivered in occupational health, right? You maybe know, even more. Maybe even maybe more. Even more yeah. So we need to incentivize that now. We need to, we need, you know, to prevent that pandemic. Employers need to kind of say, how can we do these things different? Because the benefits still apply, right? If they, you know, even if the employee is working from home, if that employee gets sick with flu, that employee is out. I mean, flu is not something you can kind of, you know, it, it, it takes you out mentally, it takes you out physically. They will lose that employee. And I, you know, for, you know, for, with no evidence, I'd say they might lose that employee for longer because um, the employee uh, may, may, you know, because of, because of being at home, the employee may do things that will slow down their recovery, right? So, so you know, and, you know, taking care of kids, all these things that happen when you're at home, all the multiple things that push on you, right? And so I want to say, you know, that it's the benefits to getting their employees protected remain very strong. And, you know, and, and heaven forbid they get, the, they get the twin infection of COVID and, and flu, then they'll be out for a little bit, you know, for a while. So I think the, 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 the benefits remain strong for the employer. And so the employer should be thinking of creative ways to continue to incentivize the employee to go out and get vaccinated. Um, if if they're not if all of them are working from home, yeah. I mean, it used to be we used to be able to do fun things. I you remember the I, I can't remember which hospital it was that talked about the cheerleaders with the with the flu carts and you know and Krispy Kreme donuts and you could make it fun. You know, you could make it a fun event in the workplace. Was, it's a was little, it was it called more challenging to do at home? Uh, a flula palooza from Vanderbilt. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. And there was uh, one out in in Renton, Washington, that did a great job with the. Uh, Seattle Seahawks cheerleaders. What did flu season look like in the other half of the world? So it was low, 
right? So the Southern Hemisphere experienced a very mild flu season as well. Um, but remember, uh, the data sources where we get our, you know, the data where we, you know, the data from the Southern Hemisphere comes from a few specific countries like Australia and New Zealand. Uh, and we know those countries were really, really good at their shelter-in-place instructions, right? New Zealand essentially was in lockdown. So I'm not surprised that they saw very little flu, and, and that's because they were maintaining masking and social distancing and essentially locking down. Um, so I don't think we can look at the Southern Hemisphere and say just because they had, they, they're coming out of a, a fairly mild flu season um, that we're going to get a fairly mild flu season as well. We're not, yeah, we're not doing that. I hadn't thought about the lockdown portion and yeah. how that how that uh, skewed our view. Yeah. Well, skewed the reality and skewed the view. Correct. So we can't do that, looking at the South. So changing gears for a second, Mm -hmm. how does the advancement of the mRNA vaccination vaccines alter the flu vaccination landscape? Now, you know, I think it's pretty huge, right? Because one of the things, you know, if, so, very different virus. So, So we want to keep those two in mind, right? The, you know the, the 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 coronavirus and the and the and the influenza viruses are very different types of viruses. So, but the 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 pause and hope it gives me with mRNA platforms is that firstly with the coronavirus we got really remarkable remarkably strong responses in older adults. Right. So so that that's something we we have not seen uh, with uh, with the flu vaccine. So that gives me a little hope. And then secondly. Uh, looking at the way the mRNA virus is with the cold, even though we're getting, so there's, there's a lot of technicality involved here, while we're getting uh, obviously breakthrough infections, it is clear that the breakthrough infections and, and the reason why the vaccine is less effective against the variants like Delta is not because the antibodies that have been generated from the vaccine are no longer working at all. They just tend to not work as well. So I look at it as potentially maybe it's an avidity issue. In other words, they just, we just need more of them. And as it turns out, that could, that's likely to be true because when we give the third dose and we boost the amount of antibodies being produced, we actually can, put, we actually can cross-protect against Delta. So that makes me think that maybe with an mRNA platform, we might also be able to promote a more strong cross-reactive response against flu that we may be able to have less impact of the drift. So when, when, when the strains drift during the season, for example, that vaccine may be able to continue to protect rather than as we, we currently have to deal with, it becomes less effective, less, you know, less, less efficient in general. So, so those are two of the things I, I, I remain hopeful for, that we'll get better cross-reactive responses and that we'll get better responses in the elderly. So those are two big things that I think the mRNA platform gives me hope for, but on the, for flu. But on the bigger picture, you know, I want to say that um, you know, in general, the, the research and development we've done because of COVID-19, some of the other platforms like adenovirus platforms, like virus-like particle platforms, um, like, like adjuvanted platforms, I think those, that, that broader research is also going to feed in and benefit us with regards to flu vaccine in the future as well. Interesting. And, and it does help production. You know the the production timing and the production quantities. I know that, that we certainly can produce mRNA vaccines a whole lot faster and and in in greater quantity than than with the limitations we've had on on prior flu technologies. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So one last question, and it's about booster doses. So we probably are getting questions twenty four hours a day at this point about booster doses uh-huh. and about Pfizer versus Moderna. Um, and, and I don't know about you, but I know an awful lot of people that have gone out and, and went ahead and got booster doses, regardless of the current, current guidance. 
Um, is there a big difference between Pfizer and Moderna? And why is there a difference between Pfizer being ready sooner for booster doses than Moderna? And well, I think that's just a, about all of that. I think that's a company versus company capacity as well as production, right? So I think, you know, um, so, I, so I can't speak to comparing the two. Um, but what I can say is that what we do know, and, and then Stan Plotkin said this at the ACIP, that maybe it's not necessarily a, a booster anymore. Maybe we're talking about a three-dose vaccine series, right? So you need three doses of the mRNA vaccine in order to, to get a nice, strong, longer-lasting immune response, right? So, so that's something that we can kind of play with because, you know, as, as, uh, as you know, Stan Plotkin pointed out at ACIP, you know, really this is, is, is three doses in about a six- to eight-month period, which would be consistent with a three-dose series of vaccine. And I like that mentality because I think what it puts us in the framework is that maybe everyone should be getting three doses, right, to put, promote a longer-lasting, more, more powerful immune response. The other, you know, uh, the other thing, you know, you kind of asked about between Moderna and Pfizer, um, I think it's, I think the other thing also is that um, you know the Moderna data, and this was recently published, suggests that their vaccine is a little bit more protective against Delta and and the variant of the, the Delta variant because, uh, uh, and I think the reason for that may be simply because the Moderna vaccine actually has more antigen, so it's actually got more uh, more antigen, which therefore may be per what we talked about earlier, they're providing a much more stronger response uh, because. And that's probably maybe why I think some people have told me anecdotally that the Moderna vaccine to them felt more reactive. Um, but, uh, but I think it's, they do have more antigen in the Moderna vaccine. And maybe that's one of the reasons why um, they're getting a little bit better cross-reactivity against the Delta variant in, the, in that most recently published data. Interesting. Well, you know, we've been managing, you know, Nicely managing three dose Hep B series for years. Exactly. So you I know, think and, and know, it might be a, it might be a similar schedule. Yeah, and, and I think once we decide the ACIP and the FDA authorize the FDA authorizes it or licenses it for that use, uh, I think uh, I think that an ACIP recommends gives recommendations for that use, and I don't know what those recommendations are going to look like. I know there's some resistance to doing it for everyone, um, but once we get all that information out there, I think then you'll see people start thinking about. Know cross mixing. If you got Pfizer for first two, can you get Moderna and so on and so forth, right? I think, and then what to do with the Janssen vaccine, for example, right? I think you'll see a lot of guidance come out from the CDC on how to negotiate that once there is an actual recommendation for that. Right, and we're hearing some pretty amazing data out of out of J and J on uh, two doses and its effectiveness. It's yeah. they're kind of you know they kind of blew it out of the water with their with their. For, de- for Delta, absolutely. So I think yeah. I think everything tells us that, knock on wood, right now the variants that are emerging, including the Delta variant of concern, suggest that the antibodies that are being generated by the original vaccine still work, and that it's simply a matter of boosting their their the their, 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 their response, right? So uh, as opposed to the virus has the variant has mutated so much the antibodies don't even bind anymore, right? So, so that would be awful if the antibodies just can't get onto that virus anymore. But, uh, but it, what we suggest is that they can, and we just need more. And that's what the boost gives. Or the, third, the third dose gives. Third dose. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Always a pleasure. And uh, we listen to your, to your webinars you know, every week and, and get so much out of them. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, and, Rosalind. Um, I will talk to you soon. Uh, take care, Rosalind. Really appreciate it. Thanks. show for today. Thanks again for taking the time to join us. 
Stay tuned for our next episode in your inboxes and on your podcast app of choice soon. As always, if you have any topics or questions you'd like us to cover or have a guest we should chat with, don't hesitate to reach out to us at support at zerohourhealth.com. To learn more about us and subscribe to our twice-weekly executive summary, check out zerohourhealth.com. Thanks again. Thank you.